Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live, Saturday edition. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. If you're joining us for the first time and want in more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. If you haven't already done so, please also visit our YouTube channel, which is called Walking Dead Now. And if you're there right now, it'd be greatly appreciated if you hit the thumbs up button. And you have yet to, if you have yet to subscribe to our channel on YouTube, please feel free to go ahead and do so as well. So I hope everyone is enjoying their Saturday evening. Uh, I know I am psyched because we have two very exciting guests coming up on Monday and Tuesday. This coming Monday, we are going to have Peter Jacobson, who plays Rabbi Jacob on Fear the Walking Dead, as well as being a veteran actor in this industry, being in the movies Transformers back in 2007, having a major role for four-plus seasons on the show House, and of course now being Rabbi Jacob on Fear the Walking Dead. So I have a lot to talk about with Peter Jacobson, who is going to be with us here this coming Monday. And then the very next day, we have Zoe Coletti, who plays Virginia's sister, Dakota, who's going to be joining us live right here on Dead Talk Live. And that is going to be a fascinating chat. Get some background information as to the character of Dakota her relationship, and how Dakota sees her relationship with her very vicious and manipulative sister, who of course is Virginia, the leader of the pioneers on Fear the Walking Dead. So you guys don't want to miss that. Monday and Tuesday, November 9th and 10th, Monday we have Peter Jacobson, and on Tuesday we have Zoe Coletti. So that's coming up all at the beginning of next week. Now that we got that out of the way, let me say hello to some of you guys that are joining us. Welcome to our regular singer chick, Khaleesi. Uh, let's see, Cece Wheezy is also with us on YouTube. Thais is with us on YouTube. Colette is with us on uh, Facebook, all the way from England. AJ is with us on YouTube. Lindsay Sparks is also with us on Facebook as well. Also on YouTube, we have I'm a White Boy. Welcome. On the Instagram side, let's see who we have. We have DJ Rasley with us. We have Diego giving us a thumbs up. YD is giving us a smiley love face. Mary Martins42 is joining us. Of course, Marie is moderating on the Instagram side. Saz is moderating Facebook, Insta, sorry, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, along with uh, Khaleesi and Singer Check. So let's see who else we have on Instagram. Dores is giving us a thumbs up. Alfredo is also with us, as is JG. Now, Thais, who's joining us on YouTube tonight, submitted a video to us today that we are going to be getting to here in a little bit. But before we do that, just want to remind you guys that tomorrow is Walking Dead Sunday, which means there will be no episode of Dead Talk Live uh, as long as there is a Walking Dead show on TV on a Sunday. We will not be having a live show. Uh, in fact, today I saw the latest episode of World Beyond. Uh, and it was great. It's a great episode. 
Uh, I saw it on AMC+. Plus. Uh, so, guys, you don't want to miss it on Sunday. And just a, a word of a warning. Do not turn off the show as soon as the credits roll because we do get an extra scene again. We get a surprise scene after the credits roll. I'm not going to spoil anything for you guys, uh, but don't turn off the TV. Don't turn off your DVR after the credits start rolling. And of course, after you get next week's teaser as well, we do get an extra scene at the end of World Beyond. So just a heads up on that. Vic is with us saying, I love this movie. John Jesus is also with us. Welcome to you guys on Facebook. Uh, Thai says, I can't wait to watch that one. So yeah, yeah, some heads up there. Uh, let's see, H H I is with us on Instagram, just joined us. Uh, Sandra is also waving at us on Instagram as well. So I mentioned the video that was submitted to us uh, by uh, Thais Byros. This is a Daryl tribute. I posted it several hours ago on our social media. It's getting rave reviews. It's a great video. Uh, without delay, let's just go ahead and kick it off. The name of this video is called Keeping Me Alive. It's a Daryl Dixon tribute. So without further delay, guys, here it is.
Scoop's broken. I'm better off sending for myself. You act like you don't care. It's because I don't. That isn't you. You're a decent man. Hey. It's not on you. Every chain that you put on me. You've been back Thought with us I here. Wouldn't change, now. but I grew on you. I will never be what you wanted. This fire. This fire. It's keeping me alive. What a great video, okay? That was just amazing. I want to thank Thighs Byros for submitting that today. Uh, that's like the sixth time I've watched that in just the last several hours. It's a great video. Great editing. Put together beautifully. So hats off, Thighs. That was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing it with us so I could share it with all of our followers and our viewers here on Dead Talk Live. Absolutely phenomenal video of uh, Daryl Dixon. You know, uh, Daryl Dixon, one of our favorites on The Walking Dead. So there you go. You know, awesome, awesome, awesome video. So let's go ahead and get started. It was actually another kind of slow headline day in regards to The Walking Dead. But there is some interesting stuff that I want to talk about before we kick off tonight's topic. Which, uh, by the way, tonight's topic is going to be how the post-apocalyptic world is, uh, you know, the antagonist playground for all the bad people, the psychopaths, like the governor and so on, how when law and order falls apart, it's the world that they thrive in. And we've seen that over and over again in the entire Walking Dead franchise. And we're going to be talking about that after we get through some headlines tonight. And the first headline we're going to be talking about is The Walking Dead could look at Daryl's love life very soon. Now, I know that's been on the minds of a lot of people. Oh, man, I can't even begin to mention the amount of messages that I personally get in regards as to when Daryl is going to get a live life. Like, I have the answers to that. Anyway, the, the way it starts is Daryl Dixon, who, of course, of course, is played by Norman Reedus, 10-year single streak might soon be coming to an end on The Walking Dead. With just 30 episodes until the series finale, the zombie drama will soon explore other dimensions of the show's long, unattached leading man, who has gone 10 seasons without a clear romantic interest. 
The Walking Dead has flirted with potential potential couplings, Daryl and best friend Carol, of course, Melissa McBride, and Daryl and ill-fated farm girl Beth. I look, We've discussed this before. I never saw Daryl and Beth as a couple. They had an amazing big brother-little sister relationship. And then Daryl and close companion Connie, played by Lauren Ridloff. But fan calls about wished for a Carol or Donnie romances have so far gone unanswered. That might soon change as the show brings out a never-before-seen side of Daryl. Without going too deep into it, I would say Daryl and Carol have one of the most intimate relationships that we have seen on the show. I'll just say that series executive producer and chief content officer Scott Gimple told Looper, when asked about a potential Daryl Carroll romance, and then as far as Daryl and love again, you know me, I'm not about spoilers. Gimple continued, but I will say that we will be looking at other dimensions of Daryl's character that we've never seen before on the show coming up very soon. And it's going to be, I can't wait to see those other dimensions of Daryl Dixon. Asked if, now this is in quotes, sex deprived Daryl might find love or participate in a physical relationship. Gimple laughed off the question, as I just did. Uh, I love how you make that binary sort of question there. In March, Reedus told Peter Travers that he's heard some rumors that The Walking Dead will address Daryl's sex life, or lack thereof. He previously admitted to the IMDb show that he wants Daryl's first love scene to be super awkward. Adding of a potential partner, I think if he's going to find it, he is going to stick with it. If or when a Daryl romance happens and whoever it might be with, Redis predicts it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it is. Because you can't go 10 years on a show and being the leading man now of that show without people starting to ask, when is this guy going to get a love interest? You know? So anyway... Uh, he goes on to say, I'm glad that we have played him the way we have played him. I think if we would have had some hot, steamy barn sex somewhere, it would be over and done, and it wouldn't be a thing, he told TV Line in July 2018. I don't think he's that type of a guy. I think he's the type of a guy that when he does it, he'll be in love, like he will fall in love. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Everything he means, he says. When he cares about someone, he cares about them. And I think playing it in that direction is better than having an episode or even a scene in one thing. It means more to him. He's sensitive. Whatever happens on The Walking Dead... Daryl and Carol will be hitting the road together in a spin-off sequel series created by Gimple and showrunner Angela Kang. Gimple has hinted 
Other surviving Walking Dead characters might join them on their journey out west. The untitled spinoff will premiere on AMC starting in 2023. So we've had this discussion before. Uh, let me see what you guys are saying. Uh, um, White Boy writes, Beth was like 17 and Daryl was like 39. There was a big age difference between Beth and Daryl. I never thought for a second that the writers were going, you know, going back to season four, were ever heading down a direction of something happening between Daryl and Beth. They did not see each other that way. They loved each other, but it was strictly as a brother-sister type of relationship. Um, CC Weezy writes, I'm in with Donnie, as I am as well. I think Connie's a great, great matchup for Daryl. Uh, let's see. Singer Chick writes, maybe they're finally going to put them together. Uh, so let's see what else you guys are saying. CC also adds, does anybody here think that Daryl has been with lots of ladies? You mean prior to the apocalypse? Uh, you know, I, it's a safe bet to say that Daryl's not a virgin. <laughs> I'm willing to go that far. As far as what our character's life, sex life was like before, uh, the world came to an end. I'm not going to speculate beyond that. Uh, Thais writes, uh, Daryl is the loyal kind of guy. So if he's going to fall for someone, it's going to be for real. And if someone breaks his heart, the fans are going to become bloodthirsty. You know, I haven't even thought of that. Can you imagine how enraged the fans, Daryl's fans would be at any person that breaks his heart? Wow. Ugh. You know, I would not want to be the uh, actor who plays that role because uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one right there. Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes, great article about Norman Reedus. CC Weezy is laughing. I want to welcome Gonzalo with us on Instagram as well as Ultimate VK. They're both waving at us on Instagram. So, next thing on the list, the Walking Dead director pitches episode following a single zombie. Now, that's interesting. Uh, an episode possibly in Tales of the Walking Dead, where it's going to be an episodic anthology show, meaning each episode is going to be a story in amongst itself. How would you guys like to see, like, you know... What a week, a month, a day in the life of a zombie is like. That's pretty fascinating right there. There will probably won't be a lot of dialogue, but it would be a lot it would be very interesting to see. Anyway, the Walking Dead director and producer Greg Nicotero pitches an installment with a unique perspective, an episode following a single zombie from life to death. To reanimation. While unlikely to play out in The Walking Dead proper, there are a total of 30 episodes remaining until the series finale. This is something I can totally see in the new spinoff that's coming in 2023 as well, uh, Tales of the Walking Dead. 
Uh, Nicotero's idea could come to life in Tales of the Walking Dead, the anthology spinoff now in development from creator Scott Gimple. The Walking Dead's brand chief content officer has described Tales as a grab bag filled with surprises from week to week. And Nicotero has developed an idea that harks back to the show's second season, his first as director. It would be kind of interesting to have an episode where we actually follow a walker all the way from the beginning, Nicotero told Rotten Tomatoes about his wish list episode. Like the opening scene would be a person who is killed and they're on the ground dead. And then they come back as a walker and we actually follow them through the world as they come into contact with different people. Very fascinating. I just think it would be a unique perspective to see an episode not necessarily shot from the point of view of the zombie, but kind of being with a walker as it's killed and then reanimated and then going into a herd. What do you guys think about that? Nicotero continued, we kind of had a little bit of that in the beginning of season two when we started showing the beginning of the herd that overruns Herschel's farm. But I just think we could do something really fun and special with that. When Gimple announced plans for various miniseries, short-form stories, and other standalone shows or specials set in the Walking Dead universe, the series' executive producer expressed interest in a project focused on a single survivor. This potential project is one of several in the works, which could unfold in the story-a-week format envisioned for Tales of the Walking Dead. And I gotta admit, guys, I'm looking forward to the Daryl and Carol spinoff, but I'm really looking forward to Tales of the Walking Dead. Just because of stuff like this. They have an endless... The writers must be so just happy and thrilled to, they can go an endless number of ways with each episode and not have to worry about following up that episode with another episode. It can be an all-in-one inclusive. It's going to be an all-in-one inclusive. And they can take each episode in a, I would say, an unlimited amount of different directions. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Daryl and Carol spinoff, but I am really looking forward also to that Tales of the Walking Dead. Uh, it goes on to say, one of my favorite projects, one that's sort of hovering around, is really about one person, a single person in the apocalypse. Gimple told Deadline in October 2019, we don't really see anyone else there because of the situation they're in. Then you have a story that's like a castaway or Omega Man, I suppose. Uh, the new series officially announced alongside a Daryl and Carol-centric Walking Dead spinoff in September is also exploring episodes util utilizing animation and music. 
Tales will feature new and existing characters, including episodes focused on dead fan favorites like Abraham Ford, played by Michael Cudlitz, and Whisperer Beta. Wow. So we could very well be seeing Beta, who is played by Ryan Hurst again. So what do you guys think about that? Let's see. Uh, Cat uh, has joined us. Welcome, Cat. Cat says they've done something close to it with Hannah, the first walker that Rick put down. It was a webisode. CC Weezy writes the farm. Thighs writes that's going to be very nice to watch. Feel like we're going to understand more about how the walkers work. That is very true. Uh, Singer Chick writes, "Wow, how wild would that be? Man, watch somebody from." The moment they die, reanimate, and then follow them along as being a zombie until where it ultimately said they join up with a herd. And it kind of makes a question. We never really question why zombies uh, tend to go in herds. For example, uh, dogs. Dogs are pack animals. They travel in packs as opposed to cats. Cats don't travel in packs. They like to be alone they don't want to be bothered they are survivors all on their own why do walkers why do why do zombies tend to sort of combine into a herd when there is no like you know prey around when there's no food around why do they combine why do they stick together there's nothing attracting them to each other they don't see each other as food they're going on pure, basic, basic instinct. And I think that would be a great question. And maybe if they do do that episode where we get to see the inside workings of a zombie from the person's death to the reanimation to where they ultimately end up in a herd, maybe that question will get answered. I hope so, because it sounds kind of fascinating. And to be honest with you, up until now, it's something that I never even thought of. And I don't think a lot of people have really thought about it. Why do zombies uh, in The Walking Dead uh, tend to go in herds? You know, why do, uh, are they social creatures? Uh, Dogs are, that's why they travel in packs. So I don't know, we'll see. Uh, Stone Walker writes, maybe zombies get lonely too. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. It gives the writers a lot of play, a lot of room. Uh, like people like Robert Kirkman, who of course is the creator of The Walking Dead, uh, to try to put in a backstory, try to fill in that gap and not take away time from the, the, the mother show, The Walking Dead original and still give us a, a backstory as to why that happens. Want to welcome Gypsy Road, who's joining us on YouTube. Welcome to the show, Gypsy. Uh, late is better than ever, man. It's great to have you here with us. The Ace 030 is waving at us. Deep Gill 7329. Sandra Carroll is with us on Instagram and writes, It would be great. If we see an old character been a walker and see if they remember things. That is fascinating. Crazy Me has joined us and is waving at us. Gonzalo Ultimate K 
have also joined us on Instagram and are waving. Welcome to all you guys. It's great to be here with you on this Saturday night. And with that said, guys, let's go ahead and start on our topic for tonight. You know, and I titled tonight's episode, Evil Thrives in the Apocalypse. Uh, Because, man, we have seen it over and over again. Law and order falls apart. The world falls apart. It does become the devil's playground. Uh, The psychopaths, the nutbags, the nutjobs of the world, they come out and they can finally not pretend. They can be who they really are, which is just at their core rotten, like the governor. You know, I keep coming back to the governor because the governor was a psychopath. So anyway, we're not going to get started with the governor. We are going to start off with Shane. Okay, John Berenthal. Now, Shane didn't start out as an antagonist. The events that followed the apocalypse was what brought out this side of Shane that would likely not have manifested if there was no apocalypse. Shane used his figure of authority as a cop to assume leadership, which gave him a sense of power to take ownership of things that were not his to take which of course includes Laurie and Carl. Without forensic evidence or the law to stop him, Shane murders Otis in season two just so he can escape. He murdered Otis, and yes, murdered is the right word. He murdered him in cold blood just so he can save his own ass. He also plotted to murder Rick and use Randall. Remember Randall from season two? Uh, as a scapegoat uh, to explain him killing Rick. Now, next, Merle. You know what? Merle is a character that I don't think he gives a crap. Apocalypse or not, Merle was going to be Merle. The fact that it the apocalypse happened, it just made Merle more free to be the person that he is. But whatever happened... I don't think that much changed in Merle pre-apocalypse and the Merle that we saw post-apocalypse. Despite his loyalty for Daryl and how he does go on the road towards redemption, Merle did start out as an antagonist, and he was an antagonist for 97% of his time on The Walking Dead, particularly when he became the governor's right-hand man. For Merle, it was survival of the fittest, whether he robbed others or teamed up with someone when there is a mutual gain to be had. By joining the governor, they both earned something from each other, and there was no law out there to stop them from taking what others or engaging in questionable activities like the gladiator fights with the walkers. And remember, in that conversation that Merle and Daryl had after they escaped the gladiator pit that uh, the governor put them in, uh, we find out that Merle and Daryl's plan all the way back in season one was to originally rob the camp, rob the group in the middle of the night and leave and go be on their own. Now, it's almost guaranteed, even though it's never really said, uh, that that was Merle's plan. 
Daryl had agreed to it because at that point, whatever Merle said, Daryl really sort of followed along. And it took them being separated for Daryl to come into his own. Stone Walker writes, poor Randall. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sass says there's been a few around. Uh, luckily, our dog doesn't mind them. Uh, I guess you guys are talking about something else. Singer Chick writes, yep. I wanted to see what happened to him, but my heart would break if Aaron saw him. That was so sad. You guys talking about Aaron's partner, Eric? Anyway, now we go on to the governor. The governor was a psychopath who reveled in the violence that he could inflict on others without fear of consequences because there was no law to stop him. He also liked to manipulate others. It gave him a sense of power and control to be able to have a community follow him and refer to him as the governor. Now, you know, let's go back and try to imagine what the governor was like before the apocalypse, okay? We know that the dude's a psychopath, okay? And we know that the apocalypse allows him to show his true colors without any fear of uh, repercussions. No law, no going to jail. He revels in having people follow him. He is a genius at manipulating people. He loved being in power. So what would the governor be like pre-apocalypse? Well, as we've seen in other movies that have depicted psychopaths, uh, then there are a lot of movies, uh, they try to blend in with the normal world and them not being able to express emotions does not mean that they are not good at faking those emotions. In fact, uh, you know, going on other movies, TV shows where it's focused on a person who is actually a true psychopath. And when I, when I say psychopath, guys, I'm going by the true definition of the word. They lack the, the feeling to express remorse. They don't have that part, that part of their brain that sort of tells everybody else right from wrong is missing. They don't know how to be afraid. They're not afraid. They don't know how to show uh, compassion, empathy, sympathy. And, but they become very good at faking it as they get older in life. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny. I saw a talk show once where they were talking about a psychopath and I found out something interesting. Uh, in real life, if you, you know, psychopaths are now uh, classified as people with uh, social uh, personality disorders, okay? The term psychopath, sociopath is not really used. It's some kind of social uh, personality disorder which for me is just a nice word for what they really are, which is psychopaths and sociopaths. But the interesting thing that I found out in this uh, documentary slash interview that I heard is that there's no way to fix this. There's no treatment for this. In fact, it has been proven that if a person 
who is a psychopath, sociopath, whatever, does seek treatment from a psychiatrist, a counselor, a therapist, doesn't matter. It actually makes it worse because it teaches them how to better game the system, okay? If they talk to a therapist and they're trying to figure out why they don't feel empathy, remorse, or any of that, and you have a licensed psychiatrist or a counselor trying to help them, what they're getting, what they're getting in return is they're getting information on how to uh, game the system even better. So it has sort of been kind of proven that, you know, sometimes no treatment for these people is the best kind of treatment. So anyway, just wanted to lay that out there. That was just a bit of interesting information that I learned in watching this documentary. And I thought you guys might find that interesting. Colette on Facebook writes, a proper egoistic nutcase. Uh, Yeah, yep. He was an egomaniac. Uh, Lindsay writes, the governor was evil to the core. Singer Chick writes, it's part of their brain. They can feel, they can't feel empathy. They don't have that. That's why uh, there's not even any medication. It can't be fixed. At least right now in the modern medicine that we have, treatment and all that, it just doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Colette writes, he was full of self-justification. And that's why they do what they do. They do what they do because it serves their self-interest. Because uh, along with being a psychopath or a sociopath, they're almost always narcissistic as well. They care about themselves and only about themselves. Now, let's keep moving along to Joe and the Marauders, or better known as the Claimers. I like the name Marauders. Um, Joe and his men were similar to pirates. They looted communities, robbed other survivors, raped women, and killed, but they also had a code that each of them lived by. Joe described to Daryl that having a code was their way of keeping things from getting out of control from within their group. Their code was that each member of the group would call out claimed when he found an item to keep or a place to sleep and that no one else had that right to that property or piece as long as someone claimed it first. They also abided by the rule that they were not permitted to lie. Joe did not accept lies. Liars were punished severely, and how often it happened, usually the liar was beaten by the rest of the group. And the majority of the time, as we did see once on the show, uh, liars and thieves, when that guy planted the... Uh, Uh, the evidence on Daryl to make Daryl look guilty of stealing something that someone else claimed. Uh, It was proven that it was was planted, and because he lied about it, they took him out, and the rest of the marauders beat him to death, even though Daryl opposed it. Daryl did not want to see him punished that severely. Now, next, we have to go on to Gareth and the people of Terminus. They are a tricky group, okay? 
to try to pinpoint as evil. Because I truly believe they did not start out with the intentions that they ended up having when we got to meet them, which was evil, okay? Eating your fellow human being, lowering them into terminus, and either you either convert them and join you, or they become your next meal. So that's what makes them a little bit more tricky. Now, according to Gareth, they didn't start out as antagonists, but after being victims of other marauders, nomads, they decide to live by their own motto. You are either the butcher or the cattle. You could call, say, they've combined vengeance with convenience on a whole new level by resorting to cannibalism when there were no other options. And you know what? That really, that rational, their rationality for that is completely bogus. And that's been proven uh, in Alexandria and Hilltop. There was a way for them to work and grow food and not have to kill people and eat them. They just did not want to do the work. For them, they just did not seem viable. So their alternative to end up eating people themselves and become cannibalism, it's a load of crap, okay? Uh, the way I see the Terminus people as them being just too damn lazy to start farming, growing their own food, working together collectively as a community uh, for the good of each other and keeping each other alive rather than luring people in as cattle, lining them up, hitting them over the head with a baseball bat, and slitting their throats. That's, to me, no, no. That's unacceptable. Uh, without law and order, Gareth and his people decided, since it's every man for themselves, then why should they have a conscience when it came to the rest of the world? After all, Nobody came to save them when they needed saving from the group of people that overtook Terminus. Next, we have to go to Dawn. Dawn Lerner, who of course was the leader of the group of the former police officers at Grady Memorial Hospital. If you all remember, that was the group that kidnapped Beth and was taken to their hospital. Dawn was twisted, okay? And a lot of times, when we talk about the antagonist on The Walking Dead, Dawn is often overlooked. You know, maybe it's because her time on the show or whatnot, but a lot of the times, Dawn does get overlooked. And we have to remember that Dawn was, uh, I think the best word to describe Dawn, in my opinion, is she was cruel. Dawn was cruel, and she liked to rule with a with an iron fist. Uh, like Shane, they may have not become antagonists had the apocalypse not taken place. Uh, she was a cop or a security officer. Uh, Dawn ran a corrupt and brutal system where she allowed her people to resort to violence when they wanted to bring in new residents who were made to believe that they had to earn their keep, even though they were brought there against their will, like Beth. 
They just snatched Beth up outside of that funeral home while her and Daryl were, were fighting for their lives. And Daryl was holding back that group of walkers and told Beth to get out. She gets out and she gets snatched up by them. She didn't ask to go there. They kidnapped her. By continuing to wear police uniforms, though, the cops used us to, author- to assert their authority over others. They forced Noah and Beth into becoming medical assistants and orderlies while telling them that they should be grateful that they were still alive and that they were the ones that saved them. Anyone who tried to leave or disobeyed Dawn was physically punished. Now, let's move on to Owen, Benedict Samuel, who was a guest of ours, the leader of the very brutal wolves that we got to meet on The Walking Dead. Apart from enjoying going to the movies, nothing else is known about Owen pre-apocalypse. Owen takes advantage of the apocalyptic world to manipulate weak-minded survivors to do his bidding. Uh, Basically, he created a cult, uh, a very cult-like system and belief that the world belonged to the dead and they were descendants of the wolves. So, yeah, Owen was a few apples short of a full fruit basket. Owen and his people raided communities, brutally slaughtered the residents to free them from their luxurious lifestyle, at least that's how he saw it, so they could return as walkers. Remember, guys, when the wolves attacked, they didn't attack to kill, kill. You know, they attacked to kill and have the people come back as zombies, all right? That's why we saw all those uh, walkers before the attack on Alexandria with the letter W carved into their foreheads. And even the wolves themselves had the letter W carved into their foreheads. Now, next, we move on to Pete. Remember Pete, Jesse's husband, who felt that just because he was the only doctor, surgeon in Alexandria, he could treat his wife and children as he saw fit and nobody was going to stop him. Now, just to clarify on Pete, the apocalypse did not make him a wife abuser, okay? He was abusing Jesse and his kids before the apocalypse ever broke out, all right? What probably fueled him even more, uh, he was a drinker, uh, he was a wife beater, he abused his children, and when the apocalypse happened and he found himself as being the only doctor in a surviving community, he really did feel that he can do whatever he wanted. Uh, C.C. Wheezy writes, yep, Pete was a jerk. That he was. Uh, Singer Chick writes, yep, he was all that long before the zombie apocalypse. Uh, let's see, Lindsay, Spark, Lindsay Sparks writes, Carol was in the hospital with Beth as well. So... Uh, Doris is with us on Instagram, giving us a thumbs up. Shadow is saying hello on Instagram. Welcome to all you guys who are just joining us on Instagram. Adriana is waving at us. 
Sandra Carroll writes, maybe Carroll could be a psychopath. She made others, she make others to kill people. She killed people. We didn't see any remorse. I think uh, it's for that Rick kicked her out of the prison, maybe. No, I disagree with that. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Carol is not a psychopath because she does have the ability to show uh, remorse. Now, we have seen in this past season, season 10, that she will not listen to the rational side of her brain when she is out for blood or vengeance. And she does get tunnel vision. Uh, when it came to Alpha, she had complete tunnel vision. It didn't matter whose life she might have put at jeopardy, uh, deaths that she might have caused. Uh, but she's not a psychopath. She is fully capable and able of feeling remorse. I mean, how many times have we seen Carol crying on The Walking Dead? Just go back to when she had to put Lizzie down. Now, Carol has, because of the abuse that she faced from her husband, Ed, before the apocalypse, it hardened her, you know? It took her three seasons to start to become the Carol that we know today, but she's not a psychopath. She, you could say that she's she has a very cold heart, and that's a very valid argument when it comes to Carol, but she has the full ability to feel emotions, remorse, cry, love, hate. The hate part is the obvious. Uh, she loves Daryl. She cares for her community members, even though she didn't do the best job of expressing that in this past season. So I really don't think, uh, I'm pretty sure, I know Sandra Carroll, that Carol is not a psychopath or a sociopath on The Walking Dead. Singer Chick writes, that was her grief. And I was going to mention, you know, just go back to when uh, she had to put Lizzie down. Uh, she knew it had to be done. Uh she didn't like doing it. She was very distraught as she had Lizzie look at the flowers and her holding the gun up against to the back of her head. That's not something she wanted to do, but she knew it was something that had to be done. So now let's move on to Negan and the saviors. Yeah, Negan did uh, thrive in the apocalypse. That definitely became his playground. Negan is the perfect example of someone who used power as the driving force to thrive in the apocalypse. He led the saviors into what we call racketeering. He uses his lieutenants to instill fear in the survivors so that his communities, so that those communities were, for, were forced to provide a certain amount of supplies, including food, livestock, medicine, weapons, ammunition, everything that the saviors needed. Everything that was in the sanctuary was all basically given to them for an exchange in Negan's terms, protection. He coined it, even though I don't really truly he believed it, he was saving people. He was providing protection, but they would have to pay their price. They would have to give them half of everything they own and when they approached a new community, 
the way they made sure that community knew that the saviors meant business was they would kill one person just to let them know that this is what's going to happen to you if you don't pay up, okay? Now, in return, Negan promised, of course, safety from any other threats out there, particularly from the, the dead, the walkers. He would keep them protected from any walker threat. Now, next, we have to move on to the Whisperers. Alpha uses manipulation to form her group of the Whisperers with the help of Beta. Now, sticking with Alpha for a little bit, and I loved the flashback that we got of Alpha when the apocalypse was breaking out, when she, her husband, and her daughter Lydia were stuck in some basement somewhere in Baltimore. And I've said this before on this show, I loved how that episode was shot as Lydia is telling the story to Daryl and how it shows how much Alpha had brainwashed her daughter Lydia to where Lydia was telling the story that her father was the bad guy, not her mother. And then as the episode progressed, we actually get to see what really happened. Her mother, her mother was a evil person. Alpha was evil. Uh, she hated her husband. She despised him. She killed him. Okay. She did care for her daughter. Uh, we saw that in the beginning when she was in that basement during that flashback. We saw it in the in the present when Lydia was uh, taken prisoner by Hilltop, by Daryl. She traded in the prisoners she captured uh, from the Hilltop to get her daughter back. She lied to her fellow whisperers and told them that she had killed Lydia, even though she just let her go. But she that did not satisfy Alpha. She knew that they would not be able to keep her daughter safe in the way that Alpha considered her to be safe with the Whisperers. So, pre-apocalypse, that's why we're bringing up Alpha as sort of the last person for tonight, because Alpha was rotten to the core before the apocalypse, and as the world was falling apart around her, she immediately rose up and showed her true colors to who she really was. Um, Dice writes, I loved how they did that sequence as well. It was confusing in the beginning. My mom got very confused as well, but when you understand it, you see how messed up Lydia was from her mom. And I thought it was just brilliantly done. That was just a brilliant sequence of events, and I just loved how that episode played out. It just really goes to show you how brainwashed Lydia was by her mother. Now, the Whisperers camouflaged themselves amongst the walkers and adapted to living amongst the dead, walk amongst the dead in order to survive and in a way is also to ambush their enemies. They used the dead as what Michonne called their nuclear weapon. 
that was their biggest weapon. They weaponized the zombies. The Whisperers used the apocalypse to claim certain land areas belonging to the community's territory. Uh, like the wolves, they believed the world belonged to the dead. So you either join the dead or you end up dying, dying, and not coming back. So that's that's all the time that we have for tonight. Uh, again, this hour just flies by. I want to thank all you guys for uh, joining me tonight. Uh, thank you to Thighs for submitting her video to us. The Daryl tribute that we played earlier on in our episode, which was amazing. So thank you so much. Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes, I love the performance by Samantha Morton, who played Alpha, as did I. Samantha Morton did a brilliant job, an absolute brilliant job at portraying Alpha. Thank you so much, guys, for watching tonight. Please visit our website at deadtalklive.com to see recent episodes, featured episodes, our guest list of upcoming guests, prior guests, and a whole lot more. Visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is called Walking Dead Now. Please go ahead and subscribe. And if you're there right now, it would be appreciated if you guys hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. Remember, tomorrow is Walking Dead Sunday. So enjoy Fear the Walking Dead. Enjoy the Walking Dead world beyond. We'll be back on the air again Monday night with our special guest, Peter Jacobson, who plays Rabbi Jacob from Fear the Walking Dead, as well as a whole host of other movies and TV shows. Monday is going to be a treat. Tuesday, we have Dakota, Virginia's sister from Fear the Walking Dead. Tuesday is going to be a treat. So we have two awesome interviews coming up back to back on Monday and Tuesday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until Monday, guys, remember, stay walking.